Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. 19-year-old Cheryl Thompson was described as a sweet and kind woman by her friends and family. In early 1978, Cheryl was a student at the University of Cincinnati and was in her first year of her studies. Cheryl had taken well to student life and made lots of friends. Like most students, Cheryl liked to unwind at local bars and clubs when not studying or attending classes. In March 1978, tragedy would befall the Thompson family, and it would take four decades before the family finally got some answers. The end of March 1978 marked the beginning of spring break. Droves of students left their dorms and studies behind to spend the next week or two soaking up the sunshine and letting their hair down. For Cheryl Thompson, spring break meant only one thing, family time. She made the short trip from her dorm at the University of Cincinnati to her parents' house in Oakley, a suburb of Cincinnati. She spent the first part of the week with her family and also used the time to catch up with old friends. The high school buddies discussed what college was like for them and what their futures may look like. It was a Friday night on March 24, 1978. Cheryl spent most of the day at the family home before deciding to hit the bars of Oakley. There was a disco at Gatsby's Bar, and Cheryl agreed to meet her boyfriend there. At 10.30pm, Cheryl left the house, saying goodbye to her little brother, Danny. Shortly before leaving, Cheryl received a call from her friend, Laura Bressert, who had initially agreed to attend the disco, but at the last minute, Laura backed out and even begged Cheryl to follow suit. Laura would later tell news outlets, quote, I begged her on the phone not to go because I had a bad feeling. Cheryl ignored Laura's advice and headed for the bar. By midnight, Cheryl's boyfriend had become worried. Cheryl had never arrived at the bar and had an uneasy feeling overcome him. He began to search the bar and walked the entire route from the bar to Cheryl's parents' house, but there was no sign of her. News outlets reported that Cheryl's boyfriend found her car parked on a street close to the bar. According to the news, the boyfriend collected a second pair of keys from Cheryl's brother and, quote, moved it to a legal parking space and continued his search. At around 5.30 a.m., he spotted something bizarre. Cruising down the road was a strange-looking man. When Cheryl's boyfriend looked again, he realized the man was driving Cheryl's car. He began chasing the man on foot but was unsuccessful, losing the car near Hyde Park Plaza. The bizarre events of the evening had left Cheryl's boyfriend reeling, and by early morning, he had arrived at her parents' house to tell them the bad news. Cheryl's parents knew something was amiss when she failed to return home that morning, finding that her bed had not been slept in. Her parents were faced with the difficult task of reporting their daughter missing. The Loveland Police Department arrived at the Thompson home to take statements and evidence, and the search for Cheryl began. 
Officers retraced Cheryl's steps, but found no sign of her. There was no evidence to suggest that she'd ever made it to the bar, so where was she? The University of Cincinnati confirmed that Cheryl never made it to any of her classes once spring break was over. Investigators did not believe that Cheryl had run away. Law enforcement found her vehicle parked near the bar the next day. The car, other than being abandoned, showed no signs of anything suspicious. Two weeks later, on April 8, 1978, a state natural resource officer, Mike Surio, was making his rounds on the bank of the Little Miami River close to E. Kemper Road. He was looking for the owners of two cars parked near the riverbank. It was his job to make sure anyone fishing in the area had the correct licenses. It was as he was walking that he saw something in the brush. It was a foot. Upon further examination, he realized it was the body of a woman. The Loveland Police Department was immediately summoned to the scene, and everyone's worst fears were confirmed. The police confirmed that the body belonged to the missing 19-year-old Cheryl Thompson, and she'd been found partially clothed before being dumped close to the river. The Hamilton County Chief's Deputy Coroner, Dr. Paul Jolly, performed Cheryl's autopsy. In his report, he noted that Cheryl had suffered blunt force trauma to the head and had been strangled and sexually assaulted. The brutality of Cheryl's death shocked her family as well as the residents of Oakley. Cheryl had been an average 19-year-old university student who would want to harm her and why. Residents tightened their security measures and women were more cautious of unknown men. Cheryl Thompson's brutal murder wasn't the only one that rocked Hamilton as well as surrounding counties. In 1978, shortly after Cheryl's body had been discovered, news reports began connecting Cheryl's case to others in the area. According to this report, at least 15 other girls and women were found murdered between 1976 and 1978, all under similar circumstances. The list reported goes as follows. Lisa Jansen, 12 years old. Charmaine Stola, 17 years old. Nancy Ann Theobald, 18 years old. Diane Sue McRoby, 16 years old. Elaine Bear, 15 years old. Nancy Gritsby, 23 years old. Victoria Hincher, 24 years old. Dorothy Sullivan, 18 years old. Linda Dyer, 15 years old. Mary Ruth Hopkins, 21 years old. Carol Sue Clabler, 16 years old. Unidentified, 25. Susan Gorman, 19 years old. Linda K. Harmon, 17 years old. Cora Ellen Durham, 27 years old. Hamilton residents feared a serial killer was on the loose, and nobody knew who could be next. In 1978, DNA evidence was not yet available. However, the coroner, Dr. Jolly, and crime scene investigators obtained swabs from Cheryl's body to preserve for future use. One of these swabs was what was now commonly referred to as a sexual assault kit. Dr. Jolly could not establish an exact time of death, although he believed she'd been there for around three days. Cheryl had been missing for much longer than three days, so what had happened to her during that time? Cheryl's boyfriend was thoroughly interrogated and questioned, and he was eventually dropped as a possible suspect. Investigators combed through mountains of paperwork, looking for a golden clue, but Cheryl's case quickly turned cold. For decades, the swab kit sat in paper bags in the evidence locker of the Loveland Police Department office. Cheryl's murder left a hole in her family's lives. She never finished her degree, started a family, or bought a home. 
the anniversary of her murder was a painful reminder to her family. In 2012, a glimmer of hope came when the Loveland PD decided to reopen the case. The DNA samples that had been sitting on shelves were once again analyzed. This analysis led to the discovery of a partial DNA profile. The profile was submitted to CODIS, but unfortunately, there were no matches. Loveland investigators felt that they were back to square one. They now had a DNA profile, but needed help figuring out who it belonged to. In 2012, the Loveland PD decided to submit the swab to a third-party ancestry database after seeing the success that it had brought to cases such as the Golden State Killer. The exact company used was not specified. When these DNA samples were sent off for analysis, the company took just a few weeks to narrow it down to a single family tree. A brother, cousin, and an uncle from this family agreed to submit to a DNA test, which eventually ruled them out as suspects. Genealogists were able to tick off male members of the family until they reached one name, Ralph Howell. Howell had been employed as a delivery truck driver for the Cincinnati Inquirer and was an over-the-road truck driver. Ralph had died in 1985 in a car crash, but his criminal history cemented him as a primary suspect. Two years before his death, in 1983, Howell picked up a woman on the side of the road under the pretense that he would drive her home. Shortly after entering the vehicle, Howell pounced on the woman, throwing a rope around her neck and strangling her. Fortunately, the woman was able to escape and reported the incident to the police. Disturbingly, Howell was able to negotiate his charges, eventually settling on the charges of unlawful restraint, which was a misdemeanor. Howell was now free to do as he pleased, knowing that he would only be sentenced to misdemeanor charges. Investigators believe that this was not Howell's first crime, but it was the first time he'd been caught. In the wake of the DNA analysis, Ralph Howell's body was exhumed and a sample of his DNA was obtained from his jawbone. This sample was sequenced, and in November 2022, the Loveland Police Department, in cooperation with other agencies, posthumously charged Ralph Howell with sexual assault and murder of 19-year-old Cheryl Thompson. Whilst Ralph is no longer with us, this conviction brings some closure to Cheryl's family. Cheryl's brother Bill told the media in a statement on behalf of the family, quote, We are glad my sister's killer is dead and can't hurt anyone else. As a small family, we're still glad that they finally got some closure. Hamilton County Prosecutor Joe Dieters told the media, There's no doubt in our mind that Ralph Howe was a serial killer. Along with the murder of Cheryl Thompson, Ralph is believed to have murdered 17-year-old Charmaine Stola, murdered in 1978, 18-year-old Nancy Ann Theobald, murdered in 1977, and 24-year-old Victoria Hincher, murdered in 1976. Unfortunately, DNA was not recovered from these victims at the time of their murder, making it unlikely that law enforcement will be able to positively link Ralph Howell to the murders conclusively. However, due to the circumstances of all three murders and their closeness to Cheryl's murder, they are confident that all four are connected. At this time, it is unclear if the Loveland PD will go forward in trying to exhume these victims. Due to his employment in the trucking industry, law enforcement has stated that there may be other victims outside of the region where Howell lived. They will go forward and submit his DNA nationally to see if there are any more victims connected to him. Now that we're here and you have some closure, how does this feel for you? 
No, it, it, it feels incredible. I mean, I, I never thought this would happen. Bill Thompson finally got the answers he's been waiting more than four decades for. I'd moved on. I, I didn't think there was any way this was ever going to be solved. Anyone with information about Ralph Howell's movements or any of the cases mentioned are asked to contact the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation at 855-224-6446. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.